Our next guest is Assistant Director at Play Australia and loves helping people discover the value and power of play. He has spent most of his career in the health promotion and sports industries, is a children's book author and illustrator, and his favourite pastime is, of course, playing at home with his three kids. Today we're talking about the 100 Play Streets movement, overcoming the stigma of children playing in the street, and the practical steps in supporting a healthy childhood. A big warm welcome to the studio, Kieran Brophy. Thanks, Lucas. Really appreciate you having me on, on the podcast today. It's, it's great to be here. No problem at all. Um, we love playmakers like yourself, so I'm really looking forward to the chat. And I think it's a great opportunity to um, destigmatize um, the, the modern play approach of trying to get children in the street again. Um, some people were thinking, why are they even worried about that? Some people are like, no chance. It's a very polarizing topic. We, we so, found that. Absolutely, we found that. Yeah. Um, first question of the day. Um, what you're, you're in Victoria and you're overcoming a lot of challenges with COVID and lockdowns. What is the state of play in Victoria at the moment as you see yeah. it? Yeah, look, I mean, COVID's just shaken up our world completely, hasn't it? And it's, um, I guess it's forced us all to sort of look at ourselves. I mean, we, we've faced some serious lockdowns here in Vic. Mm -hmm. um, and, and look, in a funny way, it's actually been a really good thing for play. I, I say that, Lucas, because what it's done is it's, it's sh shaken up the, I guess, the the family priorities list and, and, and children haven't been going to, to structured activities and, and and they've been given this this amazing opportunity to actually play at home and in their communities. And I guess we've, we've embraced this really community-centric way of living where, where we live, work and play where we are. And, and that has that has real positive ramifications for, for social connection and, and providing more opportunities for, for children. So... I'm choosing to look at the, the silver lining. <laughs> Absolutely. We, we, we know that there, there has been, um, I, I guess, some, some early research around play deprivation and, and impact mm -hmm. on, on kids as well. And I guess there, there's a need for us to understand, right, well, well which children have been, been really affected through COVID and, and what can we do to, to really put our hand out and, and help those children? Because, I mean, I, I reflect on my own experience and look, oh, Look, I live, I live in a pretty well-connected street. We know our neighbours. Um, I feel safe to let the kids out and go play. Um, so, so we've – look, I've, I've got a two-, four-, and a six-year-old, Lucas, so I'm, I'm very much in that, in that early years pocket. And, and look, it's, it's been great for us to have that time at home and to yeah. see the kids get out and, and play with the neighbours. Um, but, but I recognise that, that our experience is, is very different from, from others who've sort of who've gone through COVID and particularly those who sort of live in, live in high-density living and, and don't have access to quality spaces to play. So, look, lo lots of learnings there, lots of learnings. Yeah, 100%. And I can relate. I've got a six- and eight-year-old, so in the, in the midst of it there as well. Yeah. When you think about it, it's, it's a hard one because, yes, they have been deprived from their normality, but they've been had this extra attention and extra face-to-face -face time. And we look at the brain research and the first 1,000 days is 
determinant of success at 30, and it all comes down to the face-to-face contact with an adult. So in that way, there's real positives, but then in other ways, um, that, that change, and I think that emotional contagion of what the parents are bringing and how mm. they're arriving in that relationship with their child is such a variable. I, it is, and I, I do reflect that COVID has placed pressure on, mm. on the family dynamic. Um, and so, I mean, if you've got a really cohesive family dynamic, then, then that's not an issue. Um, yeah. but, but those, those that, that, that might really struggle in that space, and, and look, I guess I'll say blokes in particular um, who have office jobs to go to in the city and don't spend as much time at home, I, I think many of them have, have their identities have been challenged to a certain extent. Um, and it, it's meant that they've sort of had to, I guess, redefine who they are within within the family dynamic. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that that can either be a really positive thing, or it can be either a really stressful thing for some some couples and families. So, yeah, look, it's um, yeah, again, it's been a mixed mixed experience for all. Yeah, absolutely. And the more people you talk to, there's such diversity, such a big spectrum of experiences. Um, Let's shift back a bit, and I have to consider, um, as we're talking off air, um, I was recently in the States, and I had a few people ask me directly, it's like, when you mention organisations, can you please tell us what they are? Because we don't know what you're talking about. So um, for our listeners in the States, um, Play Australia. Give us a break and where they can find you guys. Yeah, so so Play Australia... um, Interesting background, interesting background. So, so I, I was part of developing up our, our current strategy. So this was about two years ago and we dived into the history of Play Australia and we've actually been around for 107 years, if you can believe it, Lucas. So, so we, we were born in Victoria and we were born in the, in the back streets of Fitzroy and we were known as the Guild of Play back in the day. And the, the job of the organisation was to get children off the, the dirty streets of Fitzroy and, and into these new spaces called playgrounds. Um, and, and we had, uh, in time, we had play workers who, who taught children how to, how to go on swings and how to go down these things called slides. Um, and, then, and then we sort of developed up this relationship with uh, the professional industry and, and particularly the playground industry, so those that develop spaces. Um, and and we, we've supported the conversation around risk standards and risk benefit for, for children. Um, and so what we do, and we, we, we sort of, we morphed into to Play Australia, um, I guess over a number of years, and we, we embraced the national approach in 2010, so about 12 years ago. But I guess there's, there's two parts to, to our, our organisation. One part is professional sport, uh, professional support for those that, that develop play spaces and those that, that care about play, like our early years networks. Um, and then the other half of what we do as the, the peak national advocacy organisation for play is to look at our campaigns and, and look, at, look at how we can build the value of play publicly and support all Australians to play. Um, and, and I guess that, that's been a big part of my role over the last three years uh, because that's, that's the amount of time I've been with, with Play Oz, Lucas. Um, and, and that's been about developing up our campaigns. And our most progressed campaign is the 1000 Play Streets campaign. So, so that's the one that, that we've sort of been able to unlock a bit of support from, from government. Um, and, and as you know, a lot of these things come down to resourcing and we've been able to actually resource the, the, the growth of the movement, which has been a really positive thing. 
So getting into the 1,000 play streaks, um, if you could do the same thing, give us a bit of where did the concept come from and then yeah, how, did, yeah. how did you roll it out? Because I know there's a lot of listeners that have the advocate's heart um, for yes. children and play. And I'd just like to – you've been successful in this realm, so if we could just speak into it, give them some encouragement yeah. about your journey. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and look, we've, we've had some, some small successes to date. We've, we feel like we're at the very start of the journey to, to grow the Play Streets movement. So, so 1,000 Play Streets, we, we've taken inspiration from playing out in the UK. A, a, and playing out in the, in the UK, they've, they've been op, in operation for over, over 10 plus years, I think about 12 years. Um, and Alice, Alice, who's a co-director at Playing Out, um, she was living in Bristol about 12 years ago, still lives in Bristol today. Um, and, and, and she and the other mums in her, her local street had young children and got together and said, look, we used to play out when we were kids and it's not happening now. And look, let's, let's work together so we can support our children to get out and connect with neighbours and play because we know it's a really good thing. It's a really good thing for their, for their health and wellbeing. It's a really good thing for the broader community as well. And so they, they got to chatting with Bristol City Council um, and, and initiated this amazing movement. And, and over the last, last 12 years, they've scaled to over 1,000 plus uh, playing out streets. And these are, these are temporary road closures for play around the UK. And they've, they've had some big wins in terms of supporting the conversation at national levels. Um, so their, their National Transport Roads Group have turned around and said, look, street play is a really good thing. And, and that's happened through years of advocacy, and that's a, that's a big thing to, to happen. And they've also seen wins at a local government level. Um, so, for example, Bristol City Council, in, in trying to cut the red tape and make it as easy as possible for local community members to participate, they, they support a 12-month uh, permit process. So, so you, you as a, a local resident can apply to, the, to Bristol City Council and, and you can get your, get your permit, which covers you for 12 months. You can close your street between... Oh, you know, whatever it is, 10 to 12 p.m. on a Sunday each month, and away you go, and you don't have to jump through all the red tape every month. So, so we we've seen them do this 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 amazing, I guess, this create this amazing movement, and we, we've gotten in touch with them, and 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 we're learning we're learning about about how we can how we can build a movement here in Australia. And and look, we we obviously didn't create street play; it's been been here for forever and a day. And, and there's lots of lots of organisations supporting play on streets, um, and and over the last sort of six or seven years here in Australia, we've seen um, we've seen the Opal Sunday Street Play Initiative roll out um, in South Australia. We, we've seen Co-Design support play streets uh, here in Victoria, where I am. Um, you've got in City of Vincent. You've got the Ray Street Play Street, which is a couple of months, mums who've been running their play street for, for a number of years on a regular basis, which is amazing. Um, and we've got Hayanu. He's, he's doing his work up, up in Logan around supporting neighbours to connect and play. So, so I guess it's, it's trying to learn from everyone and, and trying to yeah. say, right, well, well, how can we actually support a broader conversation around livable streets and, and get, get temporary street closures happening here in Oz? Um, as, as being a catalyst to support those informal connections and informal play at the end yep. of the day. So a bit of a long-winded response here, Luke. No, not at all. Not at all. I'm going to ask you more questions to go. increase the wind. Um, yeah, yeah, go. So 
when it comes to petitioning and lobbying to get this um, off the ground, what did that process look like? Yeah, look, it's interesting. So from a lobbying perspective, you you go where the energy is. And, mm. and I think, I mean, play, play is, it, it's the ultimate tool to support uh, community health and children's mm. health and well-being. If you, if you look at early intervention, I'm a bit of a health promotion fiend. That, mm. That's sort of my background. Um, but, but aware that um, internationally we've seen um, really strong physical activity policy that, that's been embracing play. And I, and I say that in the UK more recently and in New Zealand, we, we can see those trends. Um, and we, we've, got a, we've got Sport Australia here, um, yeah. which is, I guess, the, the peak body for sport in Australia. <laughs> And, um, and they've had a history, they've had a history of, of trying to support the, the physical activity conversation. And yeah, um, yeah and, and at the time, oh, look, I'm going to say about three years ago, they had a, they had a CEO by the name of Kate Palmer, who, who was absolutely fantastic and supported them to develop up a more holistic strategy that, mm. that looked beyond sport and looked at, well, what other unique partnerships can we, can we look at? To, to support broader physical activity outcomes. And, and look, we know, we know play is the foundation for, for, for physical literacy and, and yep. to support, support movement for, for children across their, their all life stages. And, and so I think it, it, was, it was kind of opportune. That they, were, they were running their, their, their funding program and, and what we wanted to do aligned. And, and you've just got to jump on those opportunities when the energy's there. Yeah. Um, and so we we're really, really fortunate to, to unlock some funding through, through Sport Australia um, to run our pilot. And, and we, we piloted Play Streets uh, with, with about six local governments, um, in one in Queensland, a couple in Vic, one in SA, one in WA. And through the process, we, we learnt a stack about, I guess, good, good policy, good policy for play and making it easy for, for local residents. And, um, and we were able to build out, build out a heap of planning advice and templates and things that, that local government can use to, to support their own Play Street initiatives. So that's, that's sort of where we're at in the process. Yeah. And um, there seems to be a big divide between the perception of sport and physical activity and play and physical activity. Mm. Um, so how did you um, convey that information to for the sports orientated or sports motivated people to yeah, look yeah. at play with a different lens yeah look absolutely i think it, it's the answer is it's not one or the other and, and i think for us for us to grow physical activity in australia and physical literacy in australia um we we re really need um strong strong federal strategy yeah. Um, we need we need Department of Health and, and key organisations like Sport Australia taking a ho more holistic approach to, <clears throat> to understand that, that that sport is part of the solution. Sport's part of our, our culture here in Australia, and, and it's absolutely fantastic. However, if we're going to support physical activity of all, we need to know that there's only sort of about fifteen to twenty percent of of people in Australia who participate in structured sport. Yeah. And everyone else, well, we, we, we actively live. I like gardening myself, Lucas, and, and we walk and we ride and, and a lot of people go to the gym and, and, and we play as well. 
And so we really need to take that broad brush approach. And and, and Sport Australia, they initiated the, the physical literacy uh, conversation here with the support of La Trobe University and a number of other tertiary organisations um, to, to understand what does physical literacy mean for, for Australia. Yeah. And, and, and look, physical literacy, when you break it down, it's it's being able to, to understand the value of movement. I, I know how to move. I can move. Um, I'm confident to move. I'm confident to move with, with others. And, and when we think about play, that's what play does. Play play yeah. builds confidence in our children to, to move. And, and play supports them to take risks and, and to, to try new things. Yeah. And to fall over and get back up and learn how to roll down hills and climb up trees and there's just so much benefit to be had by by supporting uh, quality play particularly within those first five years and as you say i mean that's where 90 percent of brain development occurs for for our children so it's for me it's a it's a no-brainer that 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 play supports broader physical activity and sport at the end of the day which is which is all part of the the decision makers logic (laughs) yeah and you know Physically competent children make obviously make better athletes, um, and it's it's quite an interesting. Like the my understanding is that um, participation in sport is steadily dropping as well. So it's kind of that pre-activation and feed into sport, especially with this coming out of a pandemic, where you know those four to five, five to six year olds that would traditionally be getting involved in sport all of a sudden they're seven and eight and it's kind of not yep. getting on, but they it's that, that initiation program and those, the scaffolding of that physical competence in sports may have been missed. Absolutely. Look, I think COVID's had a really interesting impact on us as yeah. a society. And, and I know um, we've seen a lot of kids drop out of structured sport. And we've seen sports at club level really struggling to, to uh, connect and retain volunteers. Yeah. Um, so, so sport is working through this new dilemma. Um, how do we how do we stay relevant, and how, how can we attract more people yeah. in? Um, but look, I, I, I challenge it. I guess I challenge that that thinking, and I sort of say, well, look, can can we broaden it, and and mm. can we can we support children and families to move any way they want, and, yeah. and and play again again if 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 families want to play and they're moving. Yeah. <laughs> Let, let's embrace the unstructured. Yeah. And, and a lot of our, look, some of the research we've looked at is that, that children need twice as much unstructured uh, physical activity as structured for their, for their yeah. healthy development. So there's a strong yeah. case to be made that, that we need to, to take play seriously. And, and yeah. unfortunately, at a federal level, um, we don't. We don't. Yeah. We need to. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to highlight when we talk about um, – play we're not talking about a destination we're not talking about going just to a park uh, play is not an event um play statistically is the biggest contributor physical activity yeah 100%. On, on the markers and then sports further down the list yeah absolutely and, I, and there's also other key advocacy groups out there who support active transport being your walking and cycling yeah and and they need a bigger seat at the table as well as part yeah. of this this broader conversation yeah, yeah definitely um, yeah so there's a lot of i think there's a lot of improvement to be made i mean we've got our national preventative um health strategy or national yeah. preventative health plan here in oz and um 
a couple of the key focus areas is one, one of them's increased physical activity and the other one's increased mental well-being and play just aligns so well with those the, yep. those focus areas but it's not reflected enough and, and yeah. we've we've recently gone through a change of government so so look i, I see opportunity i see opportunity lucas yes. and, and look we're, we're trying to trying to push where we can yeah i'm hoping with the um the lens of priority and making um early childhood um services a bit more accessible will shine a bit more of a broader light on things um, within supporting children of play i'm optimistic about that and also yes. optimistic because when you look at a thousand play streets it's my understanding is like the first play movement that managed to um get some federal based support which hasn't been done before so to see that is quite um quite motivating um to shift it a bit um we touched on it, our perception around, you know, the outdoor country and the sportsmanship. But in in contrast to that, when you look at the physical activity data and, and scale it worldwide, um, the numbers don't say that we're like the most outdoor nation as well. No, no. Especially coming back from the States, they're like, you must be outdoors all the time. And you guys are I'm like, well, uh, it's kind of embarrassing, but no, we're not. <laughs> No, no. Um, a lot of work to be done. Well, yeah, absolutely. So, I, I mean, I think we've got a we've got a real issue with sedentary lifestyles and, mm. and, and too much screen time, and we need to embrace the outdoors a lot more. And, and we need to yeah, invest in strategies to, to support families to make to make good decisions and, and to support yeah. their children to, to to get out. And I, I mean. Our parents and caregivers—they're—they're they're, they're the gatekeepers of our, of our children's yeah. play, and we need need them opening up that door and um, and, and sending children out, but, but also supporting them to find spaces for play as well. Yeah, um, appreciating that that not everyone has a space, a backyard to go out and play in. Um, yeah. And what does what does that mean for for those those families and those communities who don't have access to adequate yeah. space? What's your thoughts on what's the contributors to? us not actually being that outdoorsy yeah. like when yeah. you look at you when you look at the european countries or states yeah. in canada i think the seasonality is actually mm. a really big motivator to get people outdoors um, you get these wonderful summer seasons in the states and you're out on lakes and it's stunning and then you get winter and you can go skiing and it's yeah. like it's a real appreciation and then but yeah as a culture i think and the communities, we're really lacking in that motivation to get outside. So I'd love to get your thoughts on those barriers. Yeah, yeah look, I mean, we know that the research points to a, a lot of barriers um, in terms of parental fear, but being a driver yep. to, to keep children in inside and um, and away from harm. So, so my child might get hurt if they're climbing up a tree or they might get hit by a car. If they're playing on the street, or they might get abducted by a stranger if they're playing in the community, um, and so and there's also the social stigma. So we know a lot of a lot of parents are, are fearful that well, if uh, if my neighbours see my child playing out on the street, they might think that I'm a bad parent, and that that's a real mm. driver as well. And that that's that, that's that's what our parents perceive to be real, and and what they perceive to be real has a big bearing on how they behave. Um, so I think there's there's a lot of work to be done around um, supporting our parents and caregivers to 
to, to become more aware about the value of outdoor yep. play. It's a good thing. And, and also supporting them around the, the knowledge in yep. terms of, right, well, you have a real role to play here. And when mm. we talk about providing children freedom, time and space for outdoor play every day for their healthy development, this is your role in that process. You're, you're the one who needs to open up the gate and find find time in, in the day, in your busy day, um, and, and find spaces for children to play and, and break down that idea of what, what does actually freedom mean um, and, and, mm. allows, and it means allowing children to embrace a bit of risk because we know risk is so important when it comes to, to children's play. Um, yeah. Yeah. So a bit of bit of work to be done there. Yeah, I think there's a common misconfusion around risk versus hazard a lot of the yeah. time as well. Um, risk being possible to negotiate, and you know, risk is everywhere, um, and not something to be avoided. Um, yes. What is your strategy to overcome that the danger stigma about children playing in the street? You mentioned a f- you touched on a few of them in your last question, but. Yeah, um, yeah. More specifically. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I did mention before that we see temporary street closures for play being a catalyst. I mean, our, yeah. our, our, our policy and our legislative context, it's very different from the UK. Um, and so I, I talked about playing out before and they've been able to scale their play streets and they've seen that, that these, these playing out play streets have, have seen regular participation of their communities. Um, I don't see that happening in the short term here in Australia because of the amount of red tape, uh, because yep. of the legislative, because of the policy context here. It's really, it's really difficult to run these things regularly. But, but if yeah. we can use them as a catalyst to, to connect communities, then all this good stuff falls out of connection. So, so what we're finding through, through our Play Streets movement is that parents get out in the street and they connect with other parents and they connect mm. with, with other adults who don't have children. And, and all of a sudden... They, they feel like they belong they, yeah. and, and all of a sudden they, they perceive their, their neighbourhood to be a safer place to be. And this is a real driver of confidence. And we're seeing that, that parents who participate in these, these play street gatherings leave more confident to support their children to get out and play in future on, on the streets. And, and I'm really encouraged to see that in the context of our data and thanks to the Tribune for supporting us with the, the data piece, we know research is so, so important for any kind of growth of, of this kind of campaign initiative, but we, we found that, that non-parents, so, so adults out there who, who don't have children, who've come and participated in play streets, we've seen a shift in attitudes towards, oh, I'm not sure about this play street thing, to actually now I think it's a really good thing after meeting with the community and seeing children play on the street. Um, I can see the positive benefits for, for these children and for the community more broadly. So this is good. This is encouraging. And, and I think if we can build confidence, particularly yep. within our parents' caregivers, this is going to be a driver to um, yeah, yeah. positive behaviours. Yeah, big time. I've seen it firsthand and spoke to parents in Play Streets, the one up in Logan. And um, it's amazing to see their shift and their honesty in what their perception was um, pre and post. And, yes. Um, there's a great story where one lady's moving out and the whole street's petitioning to be able to find her another rental so they can stay in the play street. You know? How good's that? Look, and I, I love all the, all the, I guess, unintended outcomes and all the good yeah. stories that, that fall out of simply supporting a space for, for communities to come together. Yeah. And, and, and we've had some brilliant stories about... Um, I guess that the social capital being created and, and neighbours have helped each other with IT issues and we've seen 
walking groups kickstart and we've yeah. seen parents not realise that, oh, we've got children who live in our street and they go to the same school. You can believe it. It's, yeah, I can't, yeah, I can't yeah. get over that. And, and now all of a sudden they're connecting and playing on a regular basis. It's, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's beautiful. It is. Yeah, I can, I can relate. I didn't know, like, we're on a, it's not a quiet street. Um, it's kind of like at the bottom of a hill before you go up and it's on a yes. corner. But the children across, on the diagonal across the street, two young boys, um, when we first moved in, I didn't know kids lived there for months. Yeah, right. So I just never heard them and never saw them, and um, yeah, it's that it, automatic it, it, garage. It's, it's the automatic garage door where they just drive oh, straight yeah. in the house, and you you never see them. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. It's kind of amazing. But I, I we we ran a play street here in my street, and, and I live in a court. And, and and look, like I said before, Lucas, I'm, I mean, it's a court of about eight houses, and, and I know everyone pretty well. Um, yeah. Because I I just like to poke my nose into people's business and and know who's who's living in our court, um, but I, I, I when we first moved in, um, there, there was um, I've got an older older lady who sort of lives diagonally away from us, and, and she she came up to me when we first moved in. This was about five years ago, and sort of said, "Look, just to let you know, I don't like people parking in front of my house, um, so just don't do it, and tell your visitors not to park there either." And I sort of walked away thinking, oh well, maybe she, she she's not not that interested in, in connecting with with me and my family, and that's all right. And you know, it happens, and we'll, we'll just life goes on. And, and anyway, I'd actually I'd assume that she wasn't interested in the, the play street that we organised. And look, I went around and did a bit of a letter drop and a door knock to let let everyone know that this was happening. And, and as it turns out. She, she loved the idea and came out and, and started talking about how marvellous it was that, that children were playing on the street. And we've got a totally different relationship now. And um, yeah. it's just that that was the unintended consequence for me. I mean, I thought I, I, thought I knew which neighbours were going to come and participate and, and I had it locked down. My assumption, I had it completely wrong. And yeah. Yeah, it was, it, it's, it's been a really good thing, good thing yeah. on the street. Um, I find play play and social interactions within play and bringing families together really um, creates those positive learning. That's like the community to raise a child type of oh. vibe is 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 presented in, in those situations. Absolutely. Do, I've and, got a yeah. I've got another it's a cool story. And it was a it's about um, one of the one of the play street gatherings we had in South Australia. Um, I'll say for a, for a more disadvantaged community, um, there was a there was a mum there, uh, Tikawita, um, with a Samoan background, and um, she ha- had lived in this particular street and, and felt quite socially isolated. So new mum with new bub, mm. and and walked around her street and didn't know many of her neighbours and didn't have much social interaction. Um, and when when the local government supported the play street and her street. Um, she had a really good time of it. And, and it was interesting. We, we went and had a cup of tea with her at her place. And she said what what drew her to the play street was um, the cultural piece. So so she sort of said, look, back in, in Samoa, uh, the, the, in the community that she lived in, everyone knew everyone's business. And um, everyone shared things as well. And it was really about social connection and, and, and quality connections, and, and everyone helped each other. And, and 
she she actually moved out of her community and moved to New Zealand and then moved across to Australia in time. And she learnt that our culture was quite different in that she was told from a very young young age not not to share. Um, and she she told me a story of how she was um, she was part of her netball team and um, she was she was standing around and and drinking a coke. Um, and she went to pass the coke around the around the circle and didn't even think twice about it. Passed her, her can of soft drink around the circle um, of, of girls who were in the team. And the coach came over and tapped her on the shoulder and said, look, what you're doing here is, is not done, not to be done. You're spreading germs. We don't like that, so don't, don't pass your drinks around. And, and she said that that was a real defining moment. And she sort of said, look, from then on, I understood that, that I was in a different culture and we just don't, don't share. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so her, her experience of Play Streets, it was, it was a really positive one and, and it was an eye-opener and it got her connecting with her local community again. And it reminded her of um, of her home in Samoa, and um, and as a result, now when she walks down the street, people stop her and say hello, and it's um yeah, just another another, another beautiful story there, Lucas. So, yeah. so I'm going off on a tangent. No, not at all. They're they're the ones that are important as the data. I I feel yeah because it's yeah. it's evidence of that heart piece which is moves beyond and transcends what we know in our mind to be true. But then yes. that transfers it to our hearts to be like, oh, that's reaffirming that I've, I've, I know this as truth. Yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. When it comes to those barriers and you look at a lot of red tape, like yeah. the UK compared to here, the States to here, Finland to here, um, how have you overcome that? Because that seems to be a real problem and, and sticking point because yeah. it's all good. Like, I, And especially with different states, different rules, different councils. Yeah, um, yeah, and the there's a thousand. The numbers a thousand. You got to come up with some strategy. I'd love to know about yeah. it. Well, absolutely. So look at a local government level, um, and we we see our role as really boosting capability of local mm. government to support play street community led play streets. Um, we know that that a couple of the biggest blockers um, are resourcing. So so the community development team in within that local government um, having enough people and, mm. and, and dollars to, to actually do productive stuff. Um, and, and culture is a big, big uh, barrier, I suppose, or, or it can be an enabler. So, so we need really strong support from leadership to say, look, yeah. this, is, this is a worthy intervention of, of our time. And, um, and, and also when, when I talk about culture, it's about being progressive with, mm. um, with risk um, and, and saying that yes, we are supporting our communities to get out in the streets, and and our policy is going to be uh, a human-centred policy-driven, um, as opposed to um, as opposed to compliance-driven policy. So so and, and so we need to see those conversations happening within local government to, yep. to make headway. But in addition to that, Lucas, you've got things like public liability to to work through. You've got things yes. like traffic management and traffic control. Um, and, and, and also broader risk management planning as well. Um, and in every state, it looks a little bit different because mm. we're, we're, I mean, for our international listeners, we're over-governed. We have three, three different levels of, uh, of government. And, and, and our states um, have different legislation around use of roads. Um, yeah. but, but our councils control um, our smaller roads. So it's, it's a bit convoluted, but we're, we're working through it. And we're, 
I guess we're, we're trying to understand what the issues are within each state and, mm. and to provide good advice around working around those, those issues. Yeah, just what comes to mind there is like risk, liability that then leads to the <laughs> yeah. perception of risk. When we talk about risk from a government standpoint, they think liability. Yeah, but 100%. when play people talk about risk, we think more along the lines of opportunity. <laughs> yeah. So how do you bridge that gap or what's the language you use to try to support people to change their um, assumptions of risk being more based in opportunity? Yeah, yeah. So, so look, just on the public liability stuff, um, playing out in the UK, they support their, their or at a, at a local government level, they support their communities to sign a public liability waiver which is interesting. It's an interesting way to go, which basically says, right, well, you're the parent or you're the caregiver, grandparent, and, and you're, you're going to be responsible for your child when they're on the street and you won't sue us if something happens. And this is, this is a really logical way to go. We, we don't support public liability waivers here in, in Australia. Um, and, and so what we say is that local government, you need to sort out the public liability. You can't push it onto your local resident and say, you need to take out your own cover for your street because that's just, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Mm. Um, but look, com coming back to your question, Lucas, and it was about, I guess, how we how we support, um, is it local government to think about risk benefit? Is that? Yeah, or just those people that, you know, the powers that be, local government, the councillors, even the school, yeah. like yeah. when someone's yeah. advocating for their child's right to be a child. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I think it's about um, it's about bringing the data, bringing the data yeah. to the forefront. And, and we've we've been really cognizant to have a strong relationship with Centre for Sport and Social Impact yeah. at La Trobe University, so we can, in in the context of our planning advice and what we offer local government, we're building this body of research that says, right, play streets is a really good thing. It's a good yeah. thing thing for physical activity and health and well being of, of children and, and social connection. And, um, and broader community health. Um, and so the, the more we can push those messages up the line and, and, and get those messages to the key decision makers, yeah. i.e. CEO at, at local government level, that the more chance we have of uh, local government taking a progressive approach yeah. to um, yeah, human-centred policy as so opposed to compliance-driven. Also, where did yeah. you land on the public liability? I know the UK do waivers. Yeah. Where did yep. you land with, well, we, with that yeah, in Australia? So, so at the moment, um, every local government that, that participates in play streets um, that needs to go out and get public liability. Well, they, they feel they, they need to, to get covered. So what our message is you need to take care of that. You need to take care of that. And, and if you're not going to take care of it and you're going to try and push it on your community member or your local resident, then the, the model won't work. The model won't work. So, and in terms of how they take care of it, it, it can vary. It, it, it might be that they go out and take out separate cover to support a, a number of communities over the course of 12 months, or it might be that local government attend that that gathering and their public liability extends to, to yeah. that gathering. I mean, it's it's a bit grey and it varies. But why don't they Why don't they accept the waiver? Uh, look, I think we have. I guess we have a bit of a bit of a compliance driven culture and we're we we there's a bit of fear there about well bit of nanny. yeah <laughs> a bit of a nanny state bit i'm of gonna nanny. get sued i'm gonna get sued so yeah I, I, yeah so it's um 
there's just not that risk appetite. And, and we've we've got to keep mounting mounting the um, the argument that that this is about this is about benefit for children. This yeah. is about benefit for communities, and, yeah. and and risk risk shouldn't be frowned on. And like you said, yeah. it's an opportunity. It's an it's an opportunity if we embrace it. Yeah. Um, amazing things can happen. Absolutely, people actually take responsibility for their own safety when that happens. Oh, look, it's remarkable look, when look, you give people agency to look after themselves. Hundred percent, hundred percent, Lucas. And we're we're finding that. Like in terms of the communities that get involved, we're, we're learning a bit more about the, the different kinds of communities that participate yep. in play streets. And, and look, at, at the far end of the spectrum, you've got communities who are already connected who can actually self-organise and go out and do it. Yep. Now, local government doesn't want to hear from them. They, they just yep. want them to go out and play because yep. as soon as they contact local government and say, look, can you help me with a, a temporary street closure, all of a sudden it becomes a lot more difficult for them yep for them to participate in play streets. That's not who 1000 Play Streets is for. Um, yeah. And so if you look down the spectrum in that sort of mid-level, mid, mid level, um, you, you've got community members who, who might have some capacity um, mm. but may not be connected. And, and what, we, what we saw is through one of the pilots, it was um, City of South Perth. We, saw, we, we ran a pilot in the Greenfields Estate that had been – it was a new development that had been up and happening for, for about three or four years. And so there was – there's a lot of new families there who, who hadn't connected. And what, what they found is that by connecting through the, the, the local government-supported Play Street, a lot of those families went away and continued to connect and play yep. on the street after the fact. So, so what we've seen is that that community sort of moved up the spectrum yep. and they become more self-sustaining. Yeah. But, but we've also got to realise that there's a, bunch of other, there's a bunch of other communities out there at the other end and, and these are our communities who arguably need play streets the most um, yeah. and, and often live in our most disadvantaged areas yeah. and, and, and don't have the capacity or connection to, to approach local government and, and get this thing happening. So there's, a, there's an equity piece here. And, and yes. so what, what we need to see is we need to see local governments understanding that, right, well, some communities need more help than others to get involved. Mm. And it's going to be a bit more of a burden in terms of resourcing, yep. uh, time and effort to, to help yep. them. But but the yields and the impacts that we see from connecting with these communities, it, it can be amazing. Drastically more. Yeah. You know, yeah. And the risk-reward. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and those communities aren't going to spring right up to the other end of the spectrum. No. It's going to be a slowly, slowly approach. Yeah. And it needs to be developed with community, and it might mean that you know, you, you do run a play street once a year or once every six months mm. to, to keep that community connected and keep the conversation going. Yeah, and what I hear there is that stigma. Stigma just springs to mind around those communities. Yeah. Um, the higher risk areas are assumed yes. to have higher risk for play when it's actually contradictory because the more play you have outside, the safer the streets get. Absolutely, yeah, hundred percent. It's about connecting people yeah. um, across all communities, and yeah, again, health and well-being spills out of connection. Yeah, and children are aware of it as well. We did um, at the childhood summit that was hosted by the Australian Institute of Play, based in Logan. Um, we did the Playable Cities framework Amazing. with a bunch of um, um, primary school children from there. We mapped out their neighbourhood and had it mapped out, and they could tell me 
the the streets they didn't like to go down when they drove. Um, yeah, the reasons yeah. why, um, and they could articulate their whole neighbourhood through through and where where they would play and where they wouldn't play and the changes they would make. Amazing. Um, and what other people think of their area. That's sensational, and I think you've highlighted what what what's really important here. It's about supporting that that very local conversation at the street mm. level. So, so families and children can come together and, and neighbours more broadly and actually define what their play street looks like and where do we want it to be, how do we want it to run. Um, and that's, I guess that's the beauty of the model. It comes down to, to community. Yeah. Um, for you to deem the Thousand Play Streets movement a success... Yes. What would, what, <laughs> yes. What would the metric have to... <laughs> Have to be. Yeah, look, I mean, obviously, from a campaign standpoint, we've we've said, look, we'd love to achieve one thousand play streets by by June twenty twenty five to align with um with our broader play Australia strategy. Um, I'm much more interested in the broader conversation around livable streets and yes. and, and and where this goes. Um, look, we're we're talking about the use of temporary street closures to support play, but but. Also, because we're talking about play streets, we're finding that we're having all these other interesting conversations with different organisations um, about about space, about space for play more broadly, space within communities, um, about establishing roaming ranges of children. And, yeah. and, and if we, we, we think about the street as the first step away from the home, we're yeah. trying to connect, and and what's what's the next next step out from that, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, let's let's give a bit of a definition there for our list, listeners that might not be familiar. Roaming range. Yeah, yeah. So so we, we know from a, a generational standpoint, um, years ago, our our parents and grandparents they they had a lot more freedom to move independently around their communities. And, and these days, uh, within the culture that we live in here, here in Australia, um, children are lucky to, to walk to the end of their street and back without uh, being, being supervised by, by a parent or caregiver. Yeah. Um, and and we, yeah, so there's a lot of work to be done there. And we know that independent roaming of children around communities, well, that, that's an indicator for, for really positive health in, in terms of those, those children themselves and in terms of the broader community. So, so to see children playing independently at the local park, that's that's a really good thing. It's yeah, um, yeah. but but we also we, we balance that with with understanding that um, contexts have changed and, and and density of living has changed. More cars have been introduced mm-hmm. to streets, um, and, and so you know some streets that children played on you know 20, 30 years ago may not be appropriate for for children to play on them today. Um, yeah. And so we're just calling for a lot of common sense here. Um, how can we support the, the, the independent movement of children and support their safety as well? So it's a balanced, it's a balanced conversation. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of the... With it, within health, because that's what we're talking about, um, we're talking about a preventative approach here, not a reactive mm. one. So That's right. It's it's a harder sell because we we kind of want to see the bleeding before we act. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, so ha- how do you pitch a preventative model when people really naturally aren't um, aren't accustomed to acting on it? Yeah, yeah. So 
I, I think, I mean, there's a bank of evidence and data out there that, that says this is a good thing. How do we take all that data and translate to our parents and caregivers yeah. to, to, to build confidence and, and, and to support them to, to enable, to, to feel empowered, to, to open up that gate and allow their, their children to roam? And it's a really, look, it's a really personal question mm. um, because every family lives within a different context. Yeah. Um, every, every child's ready at different stages. And, and, and look, it's... Um, I think we talk about play more broadly and we talk about the importance of children playing their their way and developing yeah. in time and doing things when they're ready. Um, and so I think that that conversation will naturally come. Yeah. Uh, but, but it is an interesting one, Lucas, because, I mean, I said before, I'm a, I'm a parent of a two, four and a six-year-old and, and the idea that I just leave them up the park and, and, and wander off, I'm, I'm not there yet. No, no. no. So, so this is I'm, I'm I'm interested to see how I'm going to go personally to support the independent roaming of my children. And um, yeah. yeah, it is a hard one. It's a natural response to want to um, protect our children. Yeah, but I think the biggest disservice we could do to our children to give them in the impression that we're always going to be there to protect them. Hundred percent. It's not 100%. good for mental no, look, health. My my job. I see my job pretty clear cut as a parent and my, my job is to to encourage independence so my children ultimately don't need me i i, I hope that they want to hang out with me but but i, but I hope in, t- in time they're going to turn around and say yep we got we got this covered dad yeah. <laughs> take a seat yeah 100 <laughs> and uh a question that i'd like to wrap with today yeah yeah what what, what have the children themselves because I, I love um the work doing work with the children's voice and yes. um it's it's such gold so what are the children telling you about the play streets they've been engaged yeah. with and also the children that ha- aren't don't have access to a play street yeah yeah so i guess what throughout through our data accumulation we we've, we've sort of been chatting with um with parents and and, and non-parents and, and kids as well and and ultimately we know the benefits of play. We, we, we talk about the importance of, of play developing our children physically, uh, emotionally, cognitively, socially. But really, it, what we're finding that the children who participate in play streets, they just want to get out there because it's fun and, and they get to hang out with their neighbours and they get to do whatever they want to do in their mm-hmm. own time. And, and really, it's been interesting to see... Um, who takes back the streets at a community level. And the play streets that I've been on, it's been the, the children who have been, been driving the activity yep. on the streets and dragging mum and dad and, and grandma and grandma, grandpa out on the street. Um, mm. And it's just been beautiful to see. So, so I think, I mean, we want to play. We, we want to play. Let us play. And, um, and we've got a real, real responsibility to, to open up that gate and support freedom, time, and space for our children yeah. to, to play. Hundred percent. Any anyone, the caretakers, if you will, of childhood, anyone that knows a child or anyone that's been a child, has a responsibility to fulfil that unique and essential right to be a child. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, for our listeners, um, Thousand Play Streets, where can they find you? Yep, uh, Play Australia. .org.au. Um, we've, we've got a bundle of Play Streets information on our website and we're, we're constantly adding to it. 
Yeah. Uh, but please jump on and, and get in touch if you have questions. Uh, yeah. We'd love and, to hear from you. And also, where what's in where are you looking for inspiration to find these your motivation in doing it? And maybe we can steer the listeners in a direction where the stuff you're looking at that inspires you that's actually beyond your program but feeds yeah. into it. Yeah, so in terms of why am I motivated to do what I do? Yeah, or what other um, projects you're looking at or yeah. people you're following or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. Look, look from a real personal perspective, my, my motivation comes from my family, from, from mm. being a dad and, and, and having three children and understanding that, uh, to give them the best start in life, play is really important. And, and yeah, we've got the research, but it, it's it's that personal connection that, that that's really important to me. And look, it's it's how I experience my children. I mean, I, my, the relationships I have with them, they're developed through play, um, mm. through through being a bit of a silly dad at, at times, as we all are. But but there's it, just yeah, it's just it's just wonderful for the whole family. But in terms of the broader work that we're looking at. Um, for, for Play Australia, we're working on 1,000 Play Streets. Um, we're, we're working on Playground Finder as well. Yep. So that's a that's a website and app to support families to find places to play. Um, we're, we're building more PD for, for early years in our professional networks. Um, yep. And so we encourage people to check out that. And we're, we're in the process of developing up our Play Today campaign, which sits across everything, which is that broader call to action to, to say, right, make time today for outside play. And um, and that'll be rolling out in the next um, next three months or so, Lucas. So we're really hopeful to to get our bundle together and get that yep. out the door to support that that national conversation even further. So yes, professional networks, but also a bigger conversation with parents and caregivers around building that confidence to yep. open up that that gate. Absolutely. Well, thank you for being such a great authentic playmaker and encouraging a positive state of play, not just where you are in Victoria, but all all the way across Australia with the 1,000 play streets. Um, we'll put all of the links in the show notes of the sites you just mentioned. So I'd encourage everyone to jump on board. Um, play Australia website.org is there's a bunch of free resources yeah, on there. .org.au. .org.au. No, that's cool. <laughs> Um, but there's heaps of resources on there for the people involved in the play industry. Um, please become a member um, and become a part of participating in that advocacy for authentic play. Thank you so much, Kieran. Keep up the amazing Thank work. Thanks, Lucas. Appreciate it. <laughs>